0: begin 2019, we're in a short uh, four-part series called Driven, Intentional Living in an Aimless World. With the new year, we are looking at a few specific areas of life over the coming weeks and seeing what the wisdom of Ecclesiastes has to say about it. Some think Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon as Oshawa described last week. Solomon, or whoever the subject of the book is, was the Bill Gates, the Hugh Hefner, uh, the Albert Einstein, the Elon Musk of his day. He was all of those things, all of those men into, put into one. He was rich, he was a hedonist, which means he loved to do whatever felt good, whatever felt pleasurable. He was brilliant, he had a lot of knowledge. Wealth, pleasure, success, intellect, you name it, he had it. And what the book reveals to us is the meaninglessness of life under the sun. Life under the sun is the materialistic, naturalistic experience of life. And if that is all there is, Ecclesiastes tells us it isn't enough to bring true purpose and true meaning. My favorite quote of the, on the overview of Ecclesiastes is by philosopher Peter Kreeft, who says this. Ecclesiastes is inspired monologue. God, in his providence, has arranged for this one book of mere rational philosophy to be included in the canon of Scripture because this too is divine revelation. Ecclesiastes is divine revelation precisely in being the absence of divine revelation. God does not speak in the book of Ecclesiastes, and yet he does. It is like the silhouette of the rest of the Bible. It is what Fulton Sheen calls black grace instead of white grace. Revelation by darkness rather than by light. In this book, God reveals to us exactly what life is when God does not reveal to us what life is. Ecclesiastes frames the Bible in the same way that death frames life. Now, It's not uncommon for a preacher to come in front of a congregation and feel a little strange as you preach God's Word because typically you're not the moral guru of every area the Bible speaks to. So that's one layer of a sermon. On top of that, at times you preach passages that are particularly convicting because you recognize your own inadequacy. And then to compound all of it, there's a passage like our text this morning from Ecclesiastes on words or speech where one of the main takeaways is that too many words spoken become foolish to the hearer. And so with that, it's time for me to speak to you for about 30 minutes or so on why the overabundance of words makes them meaningless. Yeah, it may actually not have been a bad idea to just come up here, read the passage, and then say, let's pray. It's funny, but it also raises an interesting question. Why do we come and sit and listen to someone speak for 30 or 40 minutes every week? Think about it. Depending on the quality, you're basically getting three or four, at best, mediocre TED Talks combined into one on a Sunday morning. If you don't know what a TED Talk is, it's basically a super well-crafted 10 or 15-minute speech by a highly skilled professional where they talk about a particular insight they've gained through their experience. They are very high-level talks. They're succinct and articulate, just like this one. <laughs> it's interesting because as I thought about TED Talks in preparing the sermon, the only speech that I could think of that came to mind was by British author Simon Sinek. He, he's speaking about what good leadership looks like No joke, the primary insight that he had for leaders was for them to learn to ask everyone else at the table what their opinion was, to listen closely to their insights, and then, after gathering all of the information, they should speak. In other words, be slow to speak. Get the insights of everyone else first because you don't know everything. And use your words carefully. And so with that, let's look at our text this morning. Ecclesiastes 5. Verses 1 through 7. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart. Do not utter anything before God. God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. And when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Jesus, we ask for your help now. Holy Spirit, would you come Give us ears to really hear this morning these simple truths from your word, Lord. We love you. Amen. Now remember, Solomon speaks of numerous human endeavors, and he considers them all hevel or vanity or meaningless, meaninglessness, a chasing after the wind to grab a hold of something unseen, something that cannot be grasped, like smoke, and something that is moving to and fro constantly. It's a pointless pursuit. The pursuit of wisdom and pleasure and wealth, power, duty, work, altruism, service, honor, piety, even religion. Solomon says all of those things are meaningless. So here's the question. Is there anything then that Solomon doesn't consider vain? Yes, it is the word. Words or speech aren't pointless, according to Solomon, because words can at least explain the meaninglessness nature of everything else. Words aren't Hevel because words can at least tell us what is and what isn't Hevel. A quick side note on how the written word of our day texts has become distorted by Jacques Ellul in his book The Humiliation of the Word. The text or speech is progressively retreating everywhere. A simple examination of textbooks and magazines shows this. The turnaround took place between 1950 and 1960. Previously images were mere illustrations of a dominant text. Language was by far the most important element and in addition, there were images to make the text content more explicit and to hold the reader's attention. This was their sole purpose. Now the situation is reversed. The image contains everything. And as we turn the pages, we follow a sequence of images, making use of a completely different mental operation. The text is there only to fill in empty spaces and gaps and also to explain, if necessary, what might not be clear in the images. It is true that sometimes the images are clear, but do not clearly communicate what the reader is supposed to learn from them. Thus, the relationship has been reversed. Images once were illustrations of a text. Now the text has become the explanation of the images." I'll largely be addressing the area of spoken words this morning, but I wanted to include that quote on the written word to showcase how our culture has largely lost the significance of the written word. We want the visual to say everything because it's more stimulating and appetizing. We don't want to have to think so hard if we can help it. Think about the scroll, right, of Instagram or the thumbnails of YouTube. We want images. If you write more than a sentence or two, it's on to the next. All right, that's my side note. So here is the big idea of our text this morning. One idea, it's very simple. You've probably heard it before, but I think it's really beneficial. Too many wise words produces folly. Too many wise words produces folly. One of the weaknesses I've come to recognize is that when I sense someone doesn't feel the same way I do about an issue or a discussion or an argument, it's not that they don't agree with me. It's that they just don't fully understand what I'm saying. I haven't done a good enough job of explaining myself and if I could just nuance my position a little bit more, we'd come to the same conclusion. I heard Russell laugh because he's been through it with me. It sounds silly to tell you that, but I'm at the point now where I can sometimes catch myself doing it in a conversation. It's a strange feeling when you've been told something by your friends or your spouse about the way you are, that you just are like, ah. and then, it, then you have the moment where like you're like, I'm doing it. It's kind of, it's terrifying a little bit. I, be- I think I believed them on a cognitive level, but I hadn't experienced it, right, for myself. I remember the first week that Isaac, who's just up here, my coworker, started with me at my business. It was just the two of us for about two weeks. We worked together several days, and being window cleaners, the topic of hand moisturizer came up naturally. <laughs> Isaac was new to the job of cleaning windows, and me being a seasoned vet told him how important it was going to be that he go home every day and put lotion on his hands. Do you remember this? <laughs> I explained, it was a non-negotiable for me, it still is. Okay. My, my knuckles are dry right now. Okay, so I explained to him how easily your skin becomes dry and begins, starts to crack from the constant contact with soapy water, often dirty soapy water. As you're squeegeeing, the water's falling off, sometimes dripping down your knuckles. It's gross, especially if you're cleaning a smoker's house, if they smoke indoors. That's just extra for you. Um, And I told him, you should get some of this really thick lotion that it doesn't even come out of a tube. It's like a tub that you're like... Like, heavy-duty stuff, like palm-made consistency. And after explaining how reasonable and wise an investment it would be for him, Isaac just kind of turned to me and said, I'll probably be fine. I don't use lotion that much, and I don't want to spend money on it. Is that right? Pretty much, I think that's what you said. He's going to tell me after. You can guess what happened next. I went on for another few minutes, restating everything I had already said, with maybe some slightly different verbiage, Isaac still wasn't having it. We probably argued, this is kind of embarrassing, for 20 minutes. Like I just pleading with him about some dumb lotion because I thought to myself, I'm being perfectly logical. Isaac doesn't agree with my logic. Therefore, Isaac simply doesn't yet understand me, so I need to reiterate my logic again. I think we may have gotten to the point where I told him I was going to buy him his first tub of lotion (laughs) since he wouldn't spend the money on it. I never bought him that tub. Isaac's potentially cracked knuckles keep me up at night still. I don't actually know if he uses lotion, so be sure to ask him. Now, while that's a silly example, and thank God most of you don't waste your time trying to reason with someone into buying your favorite lotion, It illustrates the desire to be properly understood or agreed with. We've all had that moment in a conversation or a debate or an argument where we know it's probably not going to go anywhere. No one's going to be convinced. But if you could just say that one more thing, then maybe they'd understand and we'd agree. But often, that one more thing can be the tipping point from truth to foolishness. Because what was said was good, and they just needed time to consider it and think about it for themselves. But because too many words have been spoken, it has now fallen on deaf ears. Think about this. Even words of wisdom, words of truth, can turn to folly. You could tell your spouse or your kids or your progressive Facebook friend or your fundamentalist cousin or your parents the truest things about how the way they're thinking isn't right or what they're doing and how they're living needs to change, you might lay out your reasoning without uttering a single untruthful statement or word. But say too much and you will lose them. And that's the irony. What's 100% truthful will be interpreted as a 100% foolishness. Why? Because it's not the quantity that matters. It's the quality. It's the amount. It's not just the words we speak either, is it? It's the way we act. The implicit insight that Solomon gives us is that our restraint of words, even totally true words, can often say more than our actual words can. Ecclesiastes 6:11 says the more the words, the less the meaning, and how does that profit anyone? The goal of most speech is that it would be received, believed, and acted upon. Received, believed, and acted upon. If I say to my wife, I need a burp rag fast, Emery's about to spit up all over me. I'm not just hoping to open my mouth and utter sounds into the ether. I-need-a-burp-rag stat." Even when we speak just to be listened to, where no action is required of the other party, the purpose is still the same. We want our words to be received, we want our words to be believed, and we want them to be acted upon, even if acting upon them simply means someone cares enough to listen. There are all different kinds and types of speech we use in literature and how we talk, <clears throat> that might communicate something true by saying something that's not true. We hear this a lot in the use of sarcasm or an allegory. When the cat's litter box in our master bathroom needs to be changed, which is my job, and Julie says to me, who doesn't love the smell of cat pee in the morning? <laughs> I know she's definitely not saying she loves the smell of cat pee in the morning. Even in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is continually reiterating that everything we know and everything we do is meaningless. He's tried all of it. It's all pointless. It all leads to more want. Nothing satisfies. It's never enough, etc. And yet, because the book so consistently paints this bleak picture, this dark picture of the human experience, by doing that, it also illuminates true meaning in life doesn't it? It's Jesus. Ecclesiastes is like looking at the negative of a picture. The dark images illustrate something beyond it that is bright and true. Rather than just telling us what is and isn't meaningless, Ecclesiastes simply points out all that lacks meaning, and in doing so, reveals more vividly than ever what does have meaning. So if the goal of our speech is to be received, believed, and acted upon, then often our goal needs to be to say less, not more. Because in saying less, we might actually be heard. It will often be what we're not saying that leads to being heard. As apprentices of Jesus, we can fall into the trap of thinking the truth that we possess is what needs to be said louder and more often. We need to proclaim it more. We have the corner on the truth market, and everyone needs to hear it, whether it's our country, our boss, our neighbor, our friend, our spouse, our kids. Our win isn't to just declare the truth for truth's sake. It's for the truth to be received, believed, and acted upon. And so, as we enter 2019, let's be careful to use our words carefully and not think we need to say that one more thing. Conversely, that's for all my loud friends. Now, if you're prone towards being too quiet, slow to speak, too slow to speak, the encouragement is actually the same for you as it is for the one who has too many words. Choose your words carefully, yes, but speak them when it's needed. Some of us are too careful and we end up injuring others by not saying too much. Not by saying too much, but by not saying enough or not saying it when it counts. I'm not just talking about speaking hard truths to someone when it feels uncomfortable. We hurt others even when we withhold encouragement or affirmation from them. So, to my more introverted friends, recognize the power of a word spoken by someone who speaks so little. Wield that power well. And to my more extroverted and loud friends, recognize the power of practicing restraint as you speak. That will say more to them than you saying that one more thing. And now... Let's close with a quick survey of the political speech of our culture and whose side Jesus is on. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, newsflash. Jesus isn't on the right or the left political viewpoint when it comes to how we speak. The hyper-conservatives want the freedom to say whatever they so choose. The hyper-progressives want the freedom to be called Whatever they so choose. Both extremes consider it their right. Both extremes aren't concerned with the ramifications. One side wants to be able to say as much as they please without restraint. And thus, their words turn to folly. The other side wants to be able to redefine what's true without restraint. And thus, their words turn to folly. But Jesus says words have more meaning and more weight than either side gives them credit for. Our culture speaks in vain with an overabundance of information, political discourse, advertisements, books, news outlets, the internet, etc. These things are the vanity of our whole culture and civilization. These things are the... Therefore, sorry, when you speak, when we speak... We must cut through the noise and the clutter and the foolishness with truthful, careful speech, recognizing that too many words become foolish to those who are listening. Ecclesiastes is a bleak look at reality, but not everything is bleak and meaningless. Not everything fades to nothingness. There is something that lasts. What lasts? Peter Kreeft gives us the answer. But we will last. We are constructing our very selves with every choice we make, like statues sculpting their own shape with the chisel of free will. And those selves, souls, characters are destined for eternity. We are the kingdom of heaven, we are the answer to Solomon. But this answer does not come clear until hundreds of years after Solomon, through the most outrageous paradox, which Kierkegaard calls the absolute paradox, of the event of eternity entering time. God becoming a man, sharing the life of man so that man could share in the life of God. Ecclesiastes is the question to which Christ is the answer. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Jesus, I thank you that you are the silhouette that the, that Ecclesiastes paints for us. The bleakness, the meaninglessness of life, the emptiness, the black hole of vain pursuit of work and money and power and pleasure of everything, God, under the sun without you. All of those things paints a black picture. And yet it's, it creates a silhouette. And that silhouette is the face of Jesus. You are the one who gives us meaning and purpose and life. Jesus, I ask that you would help each of us as we enter a new year and a new season to take seriously the words that we speak that Central Bible Church would be a people who are known to speak words of life. Not speaking words in an overabundance. Not withholding words too tightly. But having the discernment, the emotional health, to know when to restrain ourselves if we're prone to speak, and to know when to speak up if we're prone to be silent. Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us in this body. Amen. We desire to be formed by the word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.